Welcome to Craft Beer Radio. We are at Huff's in Pittsburgh today, and I have two special guests. I have Luke Purcell from Great Lakes Brewing Company. He's the brewer. How are you doing, Luke? Doing well. How are you? Doing pretty good. And then we also have Greg Huff, who is the brewer here at the Copper Kettle. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. You're not normally not open these times, this time of day, so you guys made allotment to have us come in and drink some beers. Uh, Greg Weiss could not uh, come in on the show today. Uh, he wasn't able to make his schedule work. So we're going to do our show, but you're going to hear the first show ever without Greg on it. So uh, it'll be kind of interesting. I feel kind of naked without my Siamese twin here. Uh, so the first beer we're going to taste tonight is Sierra Nevada's Nooner. And their Nooner is a Session Pilsner is what they call it. Uh, the beer pours a pretty clear uh, golden color. We're getting these out of pictures so that the head has already fallen down a little bit. The aroma. So we're drinking these out of... Do you know where these glasses come from? He showed that we're drinking these little um, kind of snifter tasters, but the, the bottom... Is sta- they're stackable, which I've never seen a stackable snifter before. I'm not exactly sure what okay. the name is, uh, but they're like a like a tulip snifter kind of crossbreed. All right, so the aroma on the Nooner. <laughs> they're having all kinds of quiet jokes <laughs> here, which don't relate over to radio. Uh, Connie, who is the local rep for Great Lakes Brewing, is, uh, is tweeting some of the pictures. So, so the Nooners, like I said, it's a uh, lower alcohol uh, Pilsner. They call it 5.2% alcohol by volume. It's uh, 38 IBUs. They use their lager yeast. Uh, bittering hops is uh, Perlay. And uh, the finishing hops are uh, Tetnanger and Saphir. The malts are two-row pale Pilsner, Munich, and acidulated malt. So the aroma on this one, it's kind of uh, biscuity. You also get some of the spiciness from uh, the Tetnanger hops, I think, are coming through. Yeah, for sure. It's not huge on the aroma. It's kind of closed off. Maybe as it warms, we'll get some more more out of the aroma, but it's kind of keeping its uh, secrets close to the vest. Feel free to chime in with anything you guys want yeah, to add. Yeah, that. Uh, it's pretty traditional pills, I would say, overall. Um, I think that acidulated malt... Is uh, kind of really helps it finish it finish nice and dry at the end. Mm-hmm. You don't really notice the tartness from it, but I think you notice that uh, that nice clean finish. It's good. Yeah. So the go ahead, Greg. Oh, no, I was just saying we were just uh, eating some pizza here, and that goes very well with pizza. Um, <laughs> I just had had a bite, then had a sip of the beer, and uh, scrubbed everything pretty clean and, and uh, pretty crisp. Actually, uh, kind of left your mouth uh, a little dry, uh, ready for another sip. Yeah, so the flavor definitely carries through uh, some some maltiness, kind of like um, a little bit of Italian bread crust in there. But then the hops really come through and kind of finish the beer for me. And I think when Luke mentioned the acidulated malt, I think some of that little tang, you know, you get a little bit more uh, lemongrass or something like that than you normally would in a pills. I, I think it... Um, gives it a really interesting character it, it's hardly anything like a Berliner Weiss but there's like little notes there that kind of yeah just a touch at mem- the end, like I said I think it's a it's not something you would even notice I don't think if you didn't know if you hadn't already said it was in there right. and you just kind of pick up on it it's certainly uh, 
certainly not like like sour in any way in the finish like that that malt can do for some beers. Right. Um, it must be just a small amount. I mean, I don't know their recipe, but obviously, but it must be just a touch there. That they wanted to kind of just just clean it up in the finish. It's nice. I'm trying to recall if there's yeah they're doing different versions of nooner right because I had a nooner couple months ago that was a, a session IPA and so this one is actually Nooner Pilsner uh, I'm trying to see if I can get more information on the different Nooners that they've done or are planning on doing um, but one of the main reasons we're here today is I was talking with Connie um, trying to line up you know these kinds of shows with brewers and you're here in Pittsburgh because you're doing an event with Huffs and you're also just did a whole uh, label branding relaunch um, yeah we did so can you just Tell us a little bit about the relaunch that Great Lakes is doing right now. Yeah, sure. We're uh, coming in our 27th year here for Great Lakes Brewing Company. They opened in uh, 1988, and uh, after the 25th year anniversary, uh, we had a lot of celebration that year and uh, some events and all kinds of things surrounding that. And after the dust settled from that, um, you know, took took a step back and said, what's next? And uh, Brand Refresh came up a few times uh, back in Cleveland, and Pat and Dan Conway, our owners, uh, both got on board and then became from just kind of a small, fresh, like freshening up to mm-hmm. a complete kind of overall brand refresh. So it's uh, been, been quite a task this first part of the year, and it just released uh, officially the beginning of this month. We had launch week and had a big party back at the brewery last week. Basically all new labels. We have an artist named uh, Darren Booth, who's a uh, doing all the artwork for the labels so it gives it a more uniform look um, a lot of the labels are similar to our former labels right. and some of them are a few of them are kind of a drastic change but mostly it kind of kept the look and feel of our uh, labels it just kind of cleaned everything up and uh the logo and everything like that just kind of modernized it a little bit so it's pretty exciting for us um i mean it's a pretty big change because yeah. traditionally great lakes has only had five or so year-round beers and the labels have been the same forever. And, like, you got three on the wall right back there. You got Dortmunder, Gold, Elliot Ness, and Burning River. Uh, oh, there's some up on the ceiling, yeah, too. Yeah, the ceiling here. see the ones in the ceiling. Uh, you know, and they're so familiar to the people inside your region, you know, where you're readily sure, available. Sure, And when I've seen some of the new ones, they're interesting, but I almost feel like I'm going to miss, you know, some of that, that old uh, style. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're going to get that. And personally, I mean, there's some of them I like the new one better, and I think... Mm-hmm. There's some of them I like the the old one better, and I think that's going to be the case with a lot of a lot of fans. Uh, and you're going to have that, but when you see them all together, like it makes you understand like what the what the concept was, and they look really nice, you know. In a, right. In and you guys, or whatever. It seems to me. This is my impression. You can tell me if it's really based in reality or not. But it seems like you know over the last three years, two years or so, you've expanded the beers that are out in the marketplace you know you used to just mostly see porter dortmunder burning river you know and you'd get blackout once a year type thing and it seems like you know with rye the tiger chill wave you've uh, started sure. doing a lot more seasonality um is, is that a fair impression yeah absolutely we've uh we've added a few seasonals uh we've changed a few as we've gone along uh this year we did a spring variety pack that's out uh currently it has four different beers in it one one of which is a beer that we haven't made in a while the holy moses belgian white ale that we've used to be one of our regular beers mm-hmm. uh there was some demand for that to come back so this is where we thought would be a good spot to bring it back and then there's three new beers in that pack as well so yeah that was uh 
that was a goal. That started at the 25 year again. We did a few new beers that year, and then started a rotating seasonal spot early in the early part of summer, where we were gonna. The idea was to change and have a new beer come out every year, and we've just kind of continued that thought process. It's just keeping up with uh, what the consumer is looking for. You know, we want to keep, of course, our core brands, and we push those all the time, and and never uh, never stop talking about those. But everybody wants to try the new thing so keeping variety people want to keep tasting new what you can do next and uh, that's kind of the way the industry is right now so that's that's what we're trying to keep up with okay excellent so you guys still got some beer in your glass if you guys want to uh you don't have to chug it well we'll talk a little bit more but uh let's let's set a target for moving on to the next beer here uh so uh greg tell me uh you know we interviewed matt um what was that i think it was when we did, when you guys did the uh, flying dog world record attempt here, we sat down with Mac and Matt and talked. Uh, so, what's new uh, in like the last two two and a half years with Huffs? Uh, there's there's a lot going on. Um, it's kind of hard to pick where to begin. Um, we're always kind of pushing our pushing ourselves, seeing how the industry just becomes more and more competitive mm-hmm. uh, with different uh, different beer offerings, promotions, events. Um, things are ever evolving and changing. Um, one of the nice things we're doing this year um, is that uh, we actually, well actually, since you've been back, we actually installed, took out an eight uh, tap draft tower and put in an 18 draft um, tower. And what we're doing is uh, we're highlighting a brewery each month and we're okay. giving them 16 drafts to showcase uh, what they're capable of. And uh, this month coming up here is Great Lakes, so that is the reason for uh, Luke to come down and joining us uh, at, the, at the bar and brewery today. Right. Um, yeah, I guess it's a different product. Um, sorry, didn't mean to catch you. It's off okay. There. I, I wanted to recap a little bit because um, a lot of people probably don't know what exactly Huffs is, and it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, but Huffs seems like it's three different things, right? You have a it's a craft beer bar in Greenville or Greenfield, Pennsylvania. It is a brew on premise homebrew place, and it's also a microbrewery where you guys brew the beers on the on the a system and serve here as well. Is that? I, I don't think I could have explained it any better. Okay. <laughs> nice do you uh, Do any of the Copper Kettle beers make it outside the building for retail, or are they all exclusively here? Uh, at this point in time, everything that we make uh, at Copper Kettle, uh, we put on um, a few uh, to go over here on the Huff side of things. So people can try some beer and then come in and brew it if they like it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not really set up for a production facility, uh, but there has been some interest in doing one-offs and other things with uh, local bars and restaurants. So I'm not saying um, it won't happen, but it just hasn't happened yet. Gotcha. Okay. I just again wanted to set everyone up, you know, because we're talking about making beer, we're talking about serving and doing kind of a continual tap takeover here in the upper bar, and then down in the lower room you have a draft wall with how many drafts are on that wall? Uh, there's 53, uh, 53 on the wall. Then we have uh, two uh, European uh, separate draft towers. Okay. Too. Gotcha. So you can come to Huff's and do the tap takeover thing, or you can go in the other room and, you know, it's a wall stock with great craft beer. All right, so it looks like we're about ready to move on to the next beer. Let me get that poured here. This is a beer that I had for the first time a couple weeks ago out in San Jose, and it uh, really was pleased with this beer. It's Michelinie's Irish Red from Alpine Beer Company. Uh, we're getting Alpine here in Pittsburgh because it's um, they merged with Green Flash, and uh, just just people who listen to the show know this because I just talked about it last week. 
but uh, for, for Greg and Luke here, I'm not a big fan of Irish Reds. Traditionally, have not been. Uh, just I just had written off to just not the style for me. And then I had this beer, and uh, was pretty impressed by it. So I definitely wanted to review it live on the show instead of just talking about it from memory. Beer pours. Um, it's it's kind of a, a ruby red, as an Irish red as you expect. It's very clear. Pours with a moderate head that just has a little bit of tanness to it. And let's see, Irish red. Michelinie's Irish red is uh, got to chop through the marketing speak here. It. Uh, has a touch of rye in it. It is uh, 13 IBUs, 6% ABV. And it typically comes in 22 ounce bottles. Yeah, so the aroma on this beer, you get this really um, rich caramel candy type aroma. It's mixed in with kind of the breads. You almost get kind of like a, a muffin or something. You guys can uh, chime in. Yeah, as you, as you want. That's fine. I'm handing some material here over here. Um, yeah, I'm liking it a lot. I, I love the malt character in this beer a lot. Uh, we have a Irish ale we do, Conway's Irish mm-hmm. Ale. It's available in the early parts of the year. It's one of our seasonals, and uh, boy, I'll tell you, this gives it a run for its money. It has a nice depth, almost like a tasting a darker malt in here, like a roast malt or a chocolate malt maybe. So they... They don't tell me the ingredients. They say uh, caramel multi sweet fades to a chocolate roasty finish mm-hmm. and a dry and dry from a touch of rye. That's kind of what they're giving. Yeah. So. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a if there's one of those. I, I almost wonder if touch. I like this beer so much because it's not really per style to an Irish yeah. red. Like would it judge well in a homebrew competition or in a beer competition? Sure, sure. Or would it get dinged for not really being on style? It's yeah. delicious. But well, you, you know, know, it's a it's a made up style anyway. So okay. <laughs> Actually, I don't know much about that. Can well, you, I, I went to uh, do a talk on some of our beers one time, and one of the beers I was styles I was supposed to do the history of was Irish Reds. And as I researched it, I found more and more that there's really not a lot of a ton of history behind it. You know, there's Schmidicks and there's a it, it was an ale. It's an Irish ale, and it can be whatever it wants to. But I think Americanized is is a good way to put that but okay. it's become a style since. so do you think like Killian's so, like invented a big part of the market sort of yeah sort of that was one of them um, but certainly it's become a style that we know now so you can kind of differentiate between them but I don't think there's a lot of personally I don't think there's as many rules as with some of the styles so. okay I'm really sure you're going to get a lot of arguments on that one though so I shouldn't even <laughs> have said that well I'm glad it is a style at this point um, after trying this this is pretty nice um, body's great mouth feels nice um, I do agree I think there is maybe some I think it might be some chocolate yeah. in there um, but leaves leaves the definitely a lot sweeter than the previous beer we just tasted that's for sure um, but really nice um, overall it's pretty good yeah some yeah. chocolate malt to kind of give it kind of a bit of a roasty and a bit of mm-hmm. a cocoa type of flavor mm-hmm. and uh, yeah the such a good drinker yeah yeah it's easy drinking it's not too sweet i don't think um certainly after having that the pilsner first it's a it has a sweetness to it but i don't mm-hmm. think it's uh you know i think there's a lot of room for styles like this to come around with a more complex malt flavor with all the ipas that flood the market nowadays i mean i think there's a part of the market that's looking for stuff like this nice drinking but 
No, I think you're multi flavor. Right. Thinking about you know not too style, so it's richer than a lot of Irish reds are. But really, it doesn't really fall into any other categories I can really think of. So it's kind of stretching the style, mm-hmm. and you know that's kind of that's kind of. Uh, an angle a lot of people will use to win competitions, right? Brew it a little bit bigger than the style guidelines sure. are, you know, and make it a little more robust. So, you know, hopefully Irish reds all tend to drift this way once more people taste it because yeah. I think this is the best Irish red, you know, on the market. No offense to call it. <laughs> yeah, well. But uh, <laughs> I like this. Not to get my mean look. You know, good thing they won't see that. Oh, here, here. I'll, I'll counterbalance that one. Uh, Edmund Fitzgerald Porter. Great porter or the best porter? Well, I'm going to go ahead and say the best porter. Um, it's uh, it's uh, it's one of the earliest craft beers that I really had found and discovered, and it's it's me too. It has legs, and yeah. it's still today. You think that you know, like a lot of beers don't see like Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Oftentimes, doesn't seem like it's as good today as it was when our palates weren't so jaded with hops. Sure, long long time ago, and but you know, Edmund Fitzgerald. You know, I bought a case, um, I guess, last fall and, you know, tore through it. I'm like, it's just as good as it was from the day one. So oh, it's definitely a timeless beer. That's nice to hear. Uh, I It's one of the early craft brews for myself as well before I started working at Great Lakes, which was uh, 1996. Uh, it was definitely one of my favorites from Great Lakes um, when I was just coming down to the pub. They were pretty new. The whole concept of craft brewing was new to the cleveland area mm-hmm. and, and most of the country at that point in time and i just uh i just loved that beer back then so the fact that you can say that even to me and uh that you had some recently and uh still is just as good as ever is a source of pride for us brewers yeah, back I'm at, not, back you know i'm still saying just as blow smoke i mean it no, is I just, one of, it's a world-class beer and it has legs all the way up to 2015 so you mentioned you were going to the pub back in 96 or so, or prior to 96. How was the West Side area back in 96 compared to today? Yeah, the pub is just west of downtown Cleveland, so it was uh, it was a pretty nasty area. There's a building there. It's the West Side Market, which is gorgeous old uh, um, partially open-air market, and then everyone thinks it looks like a former train station, but it was actually built as a market inside. Um, wonderful building kind of the anchor of the area which is called ohio city it's a neighborhood of cleveland there's also st ignatius high school there which is a really really um big presence down in our area but other than that there wasn't a lot anything good going on in the neighborhood the buildings were boarded up the buildings that our brew pub is are in now is we're all boarded up when pat and dan decided to to put the brewery in um i think everybody thought they were pretty crazy and there wasn't really a history back in 88 it certainly wasn't a history back in 88 of, of breweries being that thing that spawns renewal in a neighborhood oh right yeah you know, uh, so i mean you must have been one of the, the companies that actually uh, bootstrapped that idea i feel like uh brooklyn yeah, and you I feel like that was something that uh people look to do now and uh yeah we're proud of that being being one of the first ones that actually saw a neighborhood grow around it it's an amazing part of the town now there's and now you have like, all three, over the place. three breweries and within two blocks there. There's three. There's another one getting ready to open. Um, we should be up to five or six, I think, by maybe even by this summer. We're okay. looking at a few more openings that are really close to us, where we could probably do a probably do a four or five brewery walking tour if you wanted. You know, so yeah, it's great to see. You know, I used to walk into the early morning brew kind of run in. You know, mm-hmm. ready for who knows what and 
right now to see the neighborhood come to where it is it's it's fantastic that's cool well um, i've been in the brewery a couple times and uh I, I do recommend if anyone hasn't been out there to see it it is definitely a sight to see um the architecture is great the people are great um the beer you know it, it's there <laughs> 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 it's great, um, but but I definitely recommend. It's a short drive. I thought it was a lot longer um, from my memory, but um, the big guy over here assured me that it only took him about two hours or so. Yeah, it's a two-hour uh, ride. Yeah. I come yeah. into Pittsburgh sometimes and uh, just for for a day I'm going to leave. I think I uh, I think I came in a couple of times. I was here and brewed some beer and turned around and went home that day because these guys upset me and you know I just was like I'm not staying in this town anymore. But they could always lock in one of the escape rooms next door. No. They've always been a great account. And uh, I think it was a few years back, Connie brought me into town to do like a brew a brew day. I brewed with uh, customers, and we did a mock-up of one of our uh, recipes. And then I ended up brewing a few more, and it just kind of became a thing whenever I come to town. Cool. I stop by here. A lot of times they talk me into doing a quick batch of beer. So one of the other so things that Great Lakes seems to be known for is uh, sustainability. Yeah, and, and yeah. water um, water awareness, things like that. Can you talk absolutely. a little bit about some of the initiatives the breweries? Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we we do the Burning River uh, Pale Ale, which is named for a pretty infamous uh, river fire, a Cuyahoga River in Cleveland in 1969. Um, it was it was one of about uh, who knows dozens of rivers that were catching on fire in the region because of industry dumping whatever whatever it may be into the into the waterways and uh the good thing about that particular one besides for that it, the bad part that it became the one of the big jokes about cleveland for many many years um the good thing about that was there was the epa was in town and they uh took took note of the fact that the water was burning and uh that was when the clean water act began <laughs> so it was a turning point in our country's history which we've embraced at great lakes as a as a good thing kind of joking about ourselves a little bit but also turned it into our burning river festival which we do every year which benefits um all the water coalition and many other things that have to do with water in the cleveland area we're we're sitting on the on the greatest water resources in the world in the great lakes themselves and uh you know we've really taken it upon ourselves to be a leader to to keep taking care of that as best as we can and, and improving it as we go along so do you have an initiative on like reducing your water use? Like, do you know what yep. your water yep. barrelage per barrel of beer ratio we're, is? We're at. Uh, we actually do have that. We have a person who's full time in, in all of our resources who uh, monitors them, and constantly we have groups that are trying to improve on those. We're at about six and a half barrels to one barrel of beer right now, which is which is that's, pretty good. That's really good, isn't yeah. it? Do you know what the industry average is? I'm trying to remember. Off I want to say it's a little bit higher than that, like seven or seven or eight. I know some breweries are well above that and some are some are doing better than us there's there's breweries that are fortunate enough we're right in the middle of the city so we're landlocked and we don't have a lot of space there's breweries that are fortunate enough to be able to do their own water treatment now which is helping obviously to bring that number down for them Um, and that's a great thing we've looked at some space as we expand Uh, we're at the point where we can't grow the brewery where it is anymore so we have to maybe open another location uh, if we want to keep growing and we've definitely looked at places where there's more area to, to be able to do things like that and, and grow within our space rather than get landlocked again. So, Do you guys still run the um, vegetable oil bus to the... Oh, we sure do, yeah. yeah. The fatty wagon, it's called. That's good. So it runs to the Cavs games, the Cavs, Cleveland Cavaliers, who are still playing right now. 
um, doing well. And it uh, runs to the Cleveland Indians games all, all summer. We don't do uh, the football. We don't do the Browns games because basically one group gets dropped off and then you can't get back. So it doesn't I work see. out very well. I see. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's, that's a nice program for us. It runs on straight vegetable oil. It's, it's a biodiesel conversion for the engine. So it can run on biodiesel and or um, straight vegetable oil, which we just filter from the kitchen, and uh, that's how it works. I mean, you guys have been doing that. I remember the first time I was in Cleveland, which was probably 98 or so. I think you already had the fatty wagon running. Yeah, we started started running that shuttle right around then, actually. It must have been the first year if you were there then. Okay. Um, It was shortly after I started working there, so right around there anyway. All right. I'm going to pause the recording, and we're going to line up the next two beers and then continue. Okay, we are back. The next beer we're going to drink today is the Lagunitas Scarcity Number no. 4 Wheat Wine. Can't find anything on Lagunitas' website about this one. Beer Advocate has it as a wheat wine that is 9.7 ABV. It's a brewed once beer. And that's about it. The beer is pretty clear. It is a rich golden color. And the the aroma is just about all hops. Not necessarily what you were expecting from a wheat wine. Here, Connie, if you want some. Kind of a tropical type hop, you know, probably some mosaic. Mosaic, yeah, maybe. Kind of smells like a mango. Uh, Let's see. Something a little, 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 uh, let's see. Mostly mango. There's something a little, um, a little more earthy in there as well. Really, no note of wheatness in the aroma. And the flavor really hides it too. I mean, this thing is crazy hopped up on the flavor as well. Very bright. Go ahead. No, I'm just thinking. Okay. I almost started thinking right. out loud. <laughs> Wasn't quite ready to do that yet. <laughs> it's very bright. Um, more citrus flavors than tropical, where the nose was like mostly mango. I'm getting kind of a grapefruit, uh, kind of bitter orange on the flavor. Body's fairly full, but I mean, it's very different from many wheat wines that I've had you know it just I've never had one that's been hopped like a double IPA yeah, yeah I was going to say you could call this a they, they could have done well to call this a double IPA wheat IPA maybe um, wheat wine itself if you give this some time a year I don't know you know it's a one time brew so I don't know how many people are going to have the opportunity to to taste some of this in six months or a year but I, I would think it would start getting more of that traditional uh, mm-hmm. once the hop aroma starts dropping off a little bit I mean the hop aroma is I like it like it is it, it's pretty good as it is the, the hop aroma is bright it's telling a story and once it starts to fade it might just get there'll be a long period of muddledness until it like starts to oxidize a bit and brings out the sure. the strong boozy wheat wine part of it right you'd have to wait you have to let it go and then, and then it, it, would, it would probably 
go through a, a time when it, you just have to wait it out. You know, it would be at that point in time where it just tastes like that mm-hmm. old cheesy hop aroma would be there, and then once that dissipates, it might turn into uh, what you, what we would think is of a, a wheat wine, right, or a barley wine would be. But right now, it tastes like a really nice, fresh, big IPA. Yeah, I'm trying to think, like, you know, trying to benchmark it. One thing I like to do on the show is talk about a beer that's kind of widely available and then kind of walk out from there to where this beer is. So, like, if I start with, like, a little something-something, another Longadillas beer, so they probably share a fair amount of lineage. Sure. And I think something-something's a wheat, wheated beer as well, right? Um, the hopping is very different in this one. The hopping definitely brings through those tropical aromas and then those very bright citrus flavors. The body, you know, as I drink it a little bit more, I'm starting to taste kind of a barley wine slash wheat wine body and sweetness on the finish. You know, I I think the tongue had to calibrate to the insane bitterness of this beer. I mean, IBU-wise, this beer is probably in the 90s, if not on paper, well over 100. Yeah, I like like this beer. Um, Categorizing it as a wheat wine, uh, like you said, I mean, this could easily be a double IPA or or something along those lines. Uh, They they hop the heck out of it. Um, But one thing I'm definitely getting is a lot of warmth. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I don't remember what you said the alcohol was or if you could find it, but uh, man, 9.7 is what Beer Advocate has. Yeah, I think it's all of that. Uh, That's for sure. Um, Definitely feeling the warming um, Mm -hmm. of, of that boost there. Yeah, you know, as as I drink more of it, kind of changing my opinion, I think it was a couple calibration sips there, where it just was hops, hops, and all hops. And then now as I'm getting a little more calibrated, I am tasting some of the body. It really doesn't come across as particularly wheat tea. Um, hmm. I, I think, you know, if I was drinking a blind, I'm not sure whether I would have picked that up or no, not. It's hard to tell. Not. If I would have known that, you know, hindsight's always pretty hard to figure out what you would have gotten into blind. Uh, but you definitely do get, like Greg said, the uh, the warming, and uh, it's not, it's warming but not boozy, and uh, kind of get a big residual sweetness of something like a barley wine or a wheat wine. Yeah, there's there's not a lingering bitterness to me, for as as much hops as there's obviously in here. It's not uh, it's not hanging around the bitterness isn't hanging around too long that's probably from that full body mm-hmm. um i don't i don't personally think i don't know i mean i'm not one that's my palate's great at picking up the level of ibus especially when they get higher but right. i would think this isn't quite as high as you as no? you said no. okay personally like i said i'm not i'm not good with that kind of stuff as far as like once it gets up over about 80 i'm i'm kind of done with my prediction but yeah i mean it's uh it's it's hard to say. It was kind of. It could be just that big body that's balancing it out nicely. It's a big so, body, yeah. and uh, one of the things about things like mosaic and the other tropical hops um, is they're not as apparently bitter. You know, they're technically bitter. They have the IBUs, sure. yeah. and I really like showcasing those kinds of IPAs to people who are kind of not or kind of beer newbies because they they hear bitter, they think they don't like bitter things, bitter sure. beer. And when they try something with mosaic, and they're like, "Oh wow, mango, yeah. passion fruit, guava, yeah. you know, things like that," and uh, I really think that uh, that's an interesting way to show people uh, when you're get introducing them into different beers. And uh, a story that I've told a couple people recently is a couple years ago. It's kind of like 
over IPAs. You know, it's like, okay, I've had the most bitter thing in the world. They're all kind of the same kind of thing. I've, I've had that, you know, let's go drink a Dortmunder or something like that sure. and really, you know, geek out on the nuance. And over the last two years, now that these Mosaic and Citra and Golina and those kinds of hops are out, you know, I'm kind of a fanboy of these IPAs again. Um, I just think, you know, there's so many different variations and so much stuff to explore again. And it's not teeth-eating, bitter type thing. So, you know, it's a... Yeah, it could be up there. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, a lot of breweries will, will use a nice high alpha acid to reduce the amount of bittering hops that they need and then, and then finish with the mosaic or something like that mm-hmm. that they, uh, they want to have the flavor and aroma of. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they used a more traditional aromatic hop okay. in the bittering side of this. Sometimes we use a Simcoe and uh, some of the bigger, like our Lake Erie Monster, as a bittering hop, which is kind of unusual. But it gives it a, something like what you're talking about. It's not as offen- uh, offensive, like apparent bitterness like that, mm-hmm. which is why we do it. And the, the hop growers are even like, that's really cool you guys do that. You know, they brought it up to us a couple of times. Not a lot of people do that. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's something like that in here for bitterness rather than a traditional high alpha yeah i i, harsh I picked bitterness. up just a tiny bit of something that would be kind of trademark simcoe you know yeah. where it's a little bit dank and uh, i just got a tiny bit of that in this beer uh so at great lakes uh who brews in the, the on the pub system do the brewers like take turns on that or is there a different staff that does brews in the pub system no we have a one full-time brewer over there his name's steve foreman he actually just took over for uh the guy who was most recently in that spot, uh, Joel Warger, and before that it was myself for many years. Um, so basically, I'll back I'll back him up now, or uh, come in and brew on a if he has a couple of brews going or a whole bunch going on, I'll come and uh, give him a hand over there. But well, mostly it's a one man show in the pub. Okay. So, and then those beers are just available at the pub and for for growlers and things like that. Yeah, we uh, supply to our brew pub. It's right across the street from our production facility, so we have piping that runs underground we're able to fill up the serving tanks with all of our seasonals and our and our core brands uh so he gets to just brew all the specialty stuff that's available just at the pub one gets away once in a while and ends up in an event in pittsburgh if connie requests it (laughs) enough times excellent you might see some some of those at huff's next month i'm not sure i may or may not have uh (laughs) put in a written request um hopefully landed on your desk so can you guys tell me about the project that you're working on today? I don't sure. know. It's top secret, right? <laughs> yeah, it's top secret. <laughs> some, of, some of it's secret. Some of it's not so much. <laughs> no, it's, uh, like I said, uh, we're showcasing Great Lakes and their ability um, to brew several different styles of beer. Um, the cool thing about the Brewery of the Month is that we give them up to 16 beers to put on. Um, and the reaction we've had so far after doing a couple months is that people can't believe that these breweries who they've been fans of for such a long time actually do so many diverse styles and not only do that they do them very well mm-hmm. um so a pretty cool thing um luke said can you help me out with and i obviously said sure hey let's let's give this a shot yeah so we took a, one of the beers that spring variety pack i talked about earlier is called high striker it's a belgian single nice light belgian ale um and our production brewmaster and myself his name's Mark Hunger. We've been talking about uh, how good Peach would be with that. And uh, so for fun, I called called these guys here at Huff's and asked them if they'd do a re-ferment on it with me with some uh, 
with some peach in it. So we're going to see how that goes, and uh, they'll be serving it next month. Um, I haven't come up with a name for that one yet. Probably the Connie. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to do a referment. Are you going to croissant it with some more wort or, or just add the fruit juices, or what's the point? We're going to let the fruit. Uh, we're adding a little more yeast to it um, with the fruit, and uh, so we that should be enough sugar, and, and the, the fresh yeast will uh, okay. kind of give it a croissanting effect. Right. Very cool. Yeah. Should be good. I haven't had it yet, but <laughs> we're working on it. How much today. of that beer is going to be in existence? Uh, just two half barrels. Okay. So it'll be here for as long as as long as it lasts. Yeah. Gotcha. Very cool. I'm hoping this one goes pretty quickly. Actually, um, it's it's such a great idea. Um, so we're seeing uh, just working on our side that people want to incorporate more fruit into beer. You're taking uh, that custom firkin idea to the next step here is what you're yeah, doing. It's, uh, exactly. it's that time of year for fruit, you know. Yeah. Very cool. All right, so the last beer of the night is going to be Wild Horse Porter from Brooklyn Brewery. This beer is a rebrew of a collaboration that Brooklyn did with Blue Jacket in D.C. and Peter Buchard from New Belgium Brewing Company for 2014 Saver. And this is a wild American ale with a porter base, as far as I can tell. Uses a lot of... The the page for wild horse porter talks... Goes on and on talking about Britannomyces. And I really don't have any specs on this beer. Cool, we'll make it up as we go then. Yep. yep. Okay, so it pours uh, pretty dark. You can't really see through it. It has a uh, brown, creamy head. The aroma smells wonderful. There's something kind of like a, a Greek yogurt that's coming off of it. Yeah. If you really kind of sniff it gently you can smell some of the roast but really kind of the tanginess of that that kind of yogurt type character is the main part of the aroma yeah you can find that you can find that roast malt inside if you look for it that's that's really good i wouldn't normally think of drinking a uh porter with weather like this but i know i told you guys this earlier i I think this is super refreshing especially on on a warmer day I, i would honestly consider drinking this it has a really neat it has a neat tang to it. Really doesn't taste like um like it's straight it doesn't taste like straight bread really to me. It tastes kind of like there's a bit of a um a bl- Roselaire blend or something in there maybe. Um I'm getting little things that are kind of Flandersy on it. Uh pretty big cherry flavors. It, late in the aftertaste it's turning into a, a pretty decent tobacco flavor as well. Mouthfeel's just uh, silky smooth on there. goes down really easy. Um, I know we did pour into a pitcher, mm-hmm. so uh, the carbonation yeah. was affected a little, but um, I, I really like the mouthfeel on this one. Yeah, the mouthfeel's really good. I like the tang towards the end. Yeah. I think that's what dries it out and makes it very drinkable for uh, you know summertime. The tang is uh, almost, almost a little lactic in character, but... Yeah. Mm, Maybe maybe it's, maybe it's playing maybe it's playing with the astringency of the porter that's kind of teasing me a little bit. 
Yeah, that's a good combination. It's a uh, definitely has a nice creamy texture to it. Reminds body, me of you don't expect it to finish that way, even though you, even with the aroma that you you can tell, there's definitely some bread in there. Um, you still, I still don't expect that finish. That, that tangy I'm getting like vanilla really nice. ice cream with cherries, like yeah. flavor. Yeah. Connie wants some. She's poking me. It's like. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is. I just think this is a really nice job of balancing everything. Um, the the uh, kind of that funkiness uh, mixing with the porter is is just enough, but but not quite overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just getting started and maybe drinking some some of these styles, this, this could be a good introduction to it. Have you brewed with Brett at all? Uh, we we do a few small side projects. We have uh, kind of hidden away in the brewery. We'll come, uh, we'll come out with them in the pub once in a while, but uh, we haven't delved into them too far. We want to keep that away from our uh, other, other areas. Yeah, Understandable. Bro. You don't want to get those guys yeah. taking up residence yeah. in your equipment. I was just curious because it seems like you can either pitch a lot of bread and do primary fermentation and it does one thing, or you can pitch a little bit of bread in a secondary and it gives off a lot of different character. And I was wondering if you had any experience with like how to use bread and what it gives you. Yeah. I, no, I can't say that I okay. do, actually. Gotcha. Um, we have done some recently. Steve, the Steve Foreman, our pub brewers, playing around with some of the stuff. He's doing more kettle souring right now. Again, kind of, kind of erring on the side of caution there. For sure, kettle souring is um, a nice, safe way to do it. Yeah, and you can make some delicious blender vices and things like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what he has on so. tap right now, actually. So that's going well. We have, uh, like I say, we do have some uh, some sherry casks actually that are kind of have their own culture in them. Is a combination of uh, Brett and lactose and we keep feeding that and then we'll put that on tap once in a while we'll blend it together and you know so we kind of have our mini program going on in anticipation of the day when i have my own uh warehouse full of full of that stuff <laughs> nice nice all right so i think we're about ready to wrap this up um luke is there anything i forgot to ask you about great lakes brewing that you want to share um i don't i don't think there's anything you forgot to ask i mean just Check out our new our new brand refresh. Check out our new labels. And all the new beers we keep coming out with, and mostly uh, stick to those standby, true, tried and true ones as well. I do. I actually have a question for you. Oh, Are sure. you going to be brewing anything if the calves take take it all? <laughs> Is there anything in the works? At we this point? Uh, we brewed a beer for for a couple of the teams once in a while, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if we did that, but I don't know that we really planned on it. So let's hope we. Cleveland's been waiting 50 years for any kind of a championship at all, so <laughs> I, I think there's still a feeling in the city like, you know, that would almost be like jinxing the team by planning on brewing a beer when they win. Well, I apologize. It happened a few years ago when uh, when they were close to this. Um, I guess it's been quite a few years now since the first time. Uh, I forget that guy's name, LeBron. LeBron. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we we started brewing a beer for when they won, per our owner Pat Conway, and then they got knocked out of the playoffs, and that beer became our wit till next year. <laughs> and uh, we've been brewing that ever since. Well, at least you didn't have to ship it off to like a third world country and sell it there, right? Like the t-shirts, yeah, the locker room shirts. No, yeah, that name's perfect. We can use it for all of our teams, and we can use it all year round. So. <laughs> And Greg, anything about Huffsteed? I forgot to ask you about. 
Uh, no, I think uh, I think you got a lot of the aspects covered. Um, we just hope to see uh, a lot of your listeners come down and drink some Great Lakes uh, uh, next month here. Uh, it'll be here before you know it. And then um, stay tuned to see how the uh, project year goes. Um, we'll be adding the peach in shortly, actually. Sounds cool. All right, guys. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.